Uh, we are wrapping up a series this week called We're All Freaking Out and Why We Don't Need To, uh, and it's been a great series. Uh, heard a lot of great feedback. We hope it's been very helpful for you. Uh, if you missed any of them, you can listen to them all. Um, you can listen to any one of our five campuses um, online through anywhere that you would receive a podcast, or you can go through our website and find any of our um, sermons there. But I just want to kind of recap as we get in uh, to our final week where we've been, because it's going to be really important uh, to kind of understand that as we come to a close this week of this, this series. In week one, David kicked us off talking about um, stress. Um, something that none of you ever deal with ever um, in your perfectly placid lives. But um, really, he was looking at the story of Mary and Martha and how there was these two sisters who one felt totally free to just sit at the feet of Jesus and relax and uh, take in that moment while the other sister was running around the kitchen, freaking out, um, doing everything she could to try to get um, the job done, but then was looking at her sister with spite and bitterness saying, uh, why aren't you pulling your weight? And she even tried to get Jesus in on the situation and say, Jesus, make her come help me. Um, and Jesus basically says she's chosen a good life. She's chosen to sit with um, Jesus. And as we talked through that, we realized that there's so many things that can contribute to our stress, but some of them are just simply distractions, the busyness, the urgent, the things that seem so um, utterly important, but just aren't that important in the long run. And there's um, fears and there's false expectations and all sorts of things, but it can lead us to really um, be blaming of God, blaming of others for the life that we live um, when really we're just missing what is primary in our life, and that would be um, sitting with our Savior. In week two, we talked about depression and and what a prevalent thing it is for us in our culture today. Um, but really what we wanted to look at was um, breaking down some of the misconceptions about it, that it's not uh, sinful like perhaps you've heard uh, in your life before, that it is an emotional response to situations that we face, and what we do with it can become sinful, but the feeling itself is not sinful. And in fact, Jesus calls us um, to be people, individuals who are aware of and acquainted with the sorrows and sufferings of this life because he was. That we don't just tune out what it is to be human and feel the pain that comes along with living in a broken world, that we would know that so that when we talk to people, we can be empathetic, but then point them to the hope that is found in Jesus. And last week we talked about fear and how fear can find its way both as the root and the fruit of those two things um, that we just mentioned. But fear really is a matter of perspective, right? We threw some snakes and some spiders up there and um, some sharks and all those things. We just had some fun with it because what's, what, what might scare you might not even bother somebody else. Um, but really it, it comes down to a, a matter of perspective on, on how we see life. But then really we looked at Gideon and how your fears are not going anywhere until you go through them. Until we walk through perhaps the deepest fears of our life, and they will continue to be there until we face them and find that our God is bigger. Uh, and so really kind of the overarching theme of this series has hinged on the character of God. What do you believe to be true of the character and nature of God? Is he good and trustworthy, or is he absent, distant, and cold-hearted? How you handle stress, fear, anxiety, worry, all really largely hinge on what you believe to be true of God. And so as we kind of wrap up this week, um, I, what I would hate to be true for this series, I hope it's been helpful for you, but what I would hate to be true is that you heard a bunch of helpful things that you forget in a month. Because your fears, your worries, your anxieties are not going anywhere next month. They will be there. Now, they may be different ones, but there will still be opportunity for those moments. And so what I hope that you gather out of this is a, is a new way to fight, but that you keep fighting. 
Because you can win against fear. You can win against worry and anxiety, but it's a battle that you're going to have to fight probably for the rest of your life. And so Jesus is actually going to prepare his disciples to do just that thing. He's going to prepare them to fight well for the rest of his life. And so we're calling today sustaining peace because we want you to be able to walk into a life that is really um, one marked by peace. So Jesus, at this point in his ministry, we're going to be looking at John chapter 14. You can turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have one, we'd love to put one in your hands for free back at the Welcome Center. Um, But John chapter 14, um, Jesus is going to take his disciples and he's going to have some lengthy conversations with them as he begins to prepare them for what is going to be the hardest moment of their life up to this uh, point. He is about to go to the cross and uh, the disciples banked everything on Jesus. They left their jobs, they left their money, they left their inheritance, they left their families because they really truly believed that Jesus was going to be the one who brought the rescue they all awaited for, but he's about to leave. And so he knows it's going to get really hard for them. So he prepares them by by saying um, quite a lot to them. We're just going to look at a little bit of it today. But John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He's getting ready to leave them and he says, I have a parting gift for you. I want to give you my peace, but I want to give you a peace that you probably have never experienced before. It's not like the world gives you. Now, I think it's interesting here that Jesus doesn't say that there's no peace in the world. I think maybe at times um, Christians or, or speakers have said, you know, there's no peace in the world at all. That's not true. It's just not the same kind of peace. See, in fact, we spend a lot of time chasing the peace that the world offers, and we wouldn't chase it if there wasn't a little bit of truth in it, all right? If I gave you a plane ticket today, and you flew down to Bermuda, and you walked onto the beach, and you took your cell phone, and you threw it in the ocean, and you walked over to a table, and somebody brought you dinner, you'd feel pretty peaceful, all right? You wake up in the morning, and the sun is coming in through the window, and you grab your favorite cup of coffee, and you go sit next to the window. There's nothing on your agenda. Nobody's screaming. Nobody's flushing a rubber duck down the toilet. You're just peaceful, right? Or that moment when that high-octane, super high-energy child of yours just falls asleep on your chest. Like nothing else in the world matters at that moment. Just don't sneeze or move too quickly. When that moment will run away from you, right? Like there are moments in your life, and maybe for you it's when you're hiding in your man cave. I, I don't know what it is sitting in the deer stand. There are moments of life of incredible peace. The problem is they're just moments. They are always fleeting because you get back on that plane and you hit reality and you all of a sudden need a vacation from your vacation. You wake up from the nap feeling like you want to get ready for the next nap. See, the thing about the peace that the world offers is it will always be temporary momentary, and leave you wanting more. And so Jesus is going to come along and say, you know what that feels like. I want to give you a peace that is actually way different because that peace is dependent upon your circumstances being set in the right order. Everything has to align in order for the heart to be at rest. And even when it does, we can still find a reason to be anxious and worry. (laughs) See, what Jesus is going to say to them is what um, really we need to hang on to, and it's this, that God's peace isn't dependent upon peaceful circumstances. God's peace isn't dependent upon peaceful circumstances. The disciples are about to walk into one of the hardest seasons of their life, and yet Jesus says, I'm going to give you a peace that sustains you through that entire season. Now, how is that possible? 
It's hard to comprehend when we only know circumstantial peace. But he's talking about um, this soul-level deep rest in knowing that God really has everything under control. He says, I know what's going to come, but I'm going to give you peace through it anyway. See, um, we're going to jump down to verse 28 and see what Jesus says here um, as he continues his conversation. He says, you heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you, which would have struck fear in their hearts because this is what they were most afraid of, that Jesus was going to leave them and they were going to be left standing there um, boasting about all these things that God was going to do or Jesus was going to do and then he left. That was one of their biggest fears. And he says, this is going to happen, but if you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. Jesus is going to give them a bunch of information and and facts so that they know um, when these things happen, you don't have to be surprised. A couple years ago, my wife and I were um, at a movie and um, movie theater. We got home late or we got there late from work. So we knew we were going to miss the first part of the movie. So we sneak in and um, we're sitting there and it already started, which was weird because normally there's like four hours of credit or of uh, what are those things called? previews before you get to a movie. So it was already started, which we thought was a little weird, but whatever. So we're sitting down, we're watching, and just like kept looking at each other going, I think we're missing something. Like everybody seems to be really tuned into what's going on, but none of this is making sense to us. And then like 10 minutes later, the credits rolled. That's the weirdest movie. I walked into the wrong movie theater. All right. So we, we jump out of the movie theater, realize it's the right movie, the wrong movie theater. Uh, so we run into the next one, and we sit down, and we're watching it. But like the movie was just ruined for me at that point because I know what happened to the main character at the end of the movie. And so like every time there's a suspenseful moment where it should grip me, I'm just like, yeah, I know what happens. But I'm really hungry. I think we should leave now, right? Like everybody else was just super captivated and it didn't even bother me. It's like when you see the score uh, to the game before you actually watch the game and all of a sudden second quarter, your team's down by 10 and you're just like, yeah, I don't care. I'm not going to get worked up about it. I'm not going to throw my remote at the TV because I know in the end we win. This is what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples. So I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you how this is going to end. And I know it might feel like in this season of your life, you're down by 10 points, but you win in the end. I know it might feel like you're losing right now, but I've told you all of the things that are going to happen in your life so that when you get there, you go, oh, Jesus told me this was going to happen. I don't have to freak out. I know what's coming because the Lord has showed me, the Lord has told me, the Lord has revealed to me the path that I'm going to have to walk. See, later on, actually, in a, in a couple chapters, this is the same conversation, just broken up in a couple chapters, uh, Jesus is going to say this to his uh, disciples. He says, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own house. You will, all leave, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's going to tell them in, in very specific detail what is going to happen, and it's not pretty. You're going to be scattered. You're going to run for your life. You're going to abandon me. And these disciples would go on to be persecuted, to be chased for their life. Many would go on to be martyrs for the, the cause of Christ. And, and I think one of the reasons why our peace gets stolen is because we misunderstand what it means to follow Jesus. I think at times we've been convinced that to follow Jesus means life is going to be rosy, and if God is good, he's going to uh, protect me from all of the hazards of life. But in John chapter 15, I believe it's John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he said, listen, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. 
because the servant is not greater than the master. If Jesus, the perfect one who never made a mistake or sinned, had difficulties, had trials and was persecuted, why would we expect different? And I think at times we begin to shake our fist at God and say, God, how could you? And Jesus said, I, I told you this was coming. I told you you would have troubles. Why are we then surprised? And it sounds morbid and it sounds potentially dark, but it actually is so comforting. Man, God told me there was going to be hardship in my life. I don't have to be thrown off. It didn't throw him off. But then he finishes it by saying something really important here in verse 33. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus never makes light of your troubles. They're just not stronger than he is. He never makes light of the stress that you're feeling. It just can't overpower him. He never makes light of the sadness and the grief and the darkness that feels like it is there, but he had already defeated it. And so if we know how the story ends, it changes how we walk through the story. But beyond how the story ends, I know the details in between. That though it is difficult, God has promised to sustain me. My circumstances are irrelevant to my peace. And that's wild. And that will make the, look, the world look in and go, what? Why, why aren't you freaking out? Well, because I know how the story ends. I'm sitting in a movie theater full of people freaking out, but I just don't have to. See, there really is only one thing that your peace is contingent on, and it's this, that you must trust God to have the peace of God. This means a couple uh, things for us this morning. If you're here and you're, you're not a believer, I, I hope the series has been helpful for you. I hope this information has been helpful for you. Um, but apart from a surrender to uh, Jesus and a right relationship and walking in relationship with Jesus, you will be continually chasing a peace that will always evade you. It is only in a, a right relationship with Jesus that our heart finds the peace it's really uh, after. And I know that because I've chased it in a lot of other places only to come up empty. So um, for, for those of you who don't know Jesus, we'd love to have a conversation with you about what that means because the promises of Jesus aren't, um, I'm going to just sprinkle fairy dust over you and your life's going to be good. It's that your life's going to be difficult, but in me, in him, in relationship with him, there will be peace. But also, it means something else for us. For those who do uh, believe and have committed their life to Jesus, um, Though your moment of salvation was a moment of decision uh, to believe and trust in God, it is not the last and final decision you will have to make in your life to believe and trust in God. It is the last decision you will have to make for salvation, but your life will be a continual process of choosing to trust and believe in God at a deeper level than you did before. The faith that you had to accept Christ in the beginning yeah, will, will be enough for heaven, but you will need to grow deeper in your faith and your belief in God as life goes on because you're going to begin to experience circumstances, I and mean, many, many of you probably already have circumstances that begin to make you test, question, and wonder the goodness of God. I was talking to a friend uh, yesterday, and, and I said, it's been a week, it's been a tough week for me, um, but I committed a long time ago that there was just this anchor in my life, that God was good regardless. And if I disagreed with it, I was the one that was wrong. That his goodness was true, and that even if nothing else appeared to support that, I must not just be seeing things clearly because he is good. And so um, you have experienced that to be true in your own life, I'm sure. 
You come up against something and you just go, do I, can I, will I trust God in this moment? John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said this. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in I might not know what's going to happen as I'm facing down a diagnosis or I'm facing down a situation. I don't know, but I was instructed to not let my heart be troubled because of my belief and faith in who God is. And this is going to be a hope that guards your mind against fear, against worry, and against anxiety. Paul in Philippians puts it this way. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Let's pause right there. I got to be honest with you. I've never liked this verse because I really wish there was an exception clause in there. Do not be anxious except in your circumstances. Those totally warrant being anxious. The two years you've had totally warrants being anxious. I, I wish there was a clause there, but it's not. And isn't it interesting that he says, don't be anxious about anything. There's just nothing in life that warrants anxiety. Why? Because you have access through prayer, petition, and thanksgiving to the Alpha and Omega, the King of the universe, the beginning and the end, the one who knows your days and how they are numbered and every detail in between. You get to throw your anxiety at him and then verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, or another version would say, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You kind of get this picture of um, choosing to throw your anxieties at God as your defense against the things that are going to continually come into your mind. So next month, when you've forgotten everything I've said from this stage about fighting off fear and anxiety, would we at least remember that God has given you the tools to guard your peace by saying, listen, I, I know my God is bigger than whatever fear has entered into my mind. You can't touch my peace because you can't overpower my God. I, I hope this has been helpful for you, but, but we want to give you one kind of final tool as you fight and sustain and battle for the peace in your life and in your family's life and in, in, in the lives of those that you love. And um, almost all of the wrestles, whether it's fear, anxiety, worry, depression, they really come out of and most often come out of this one question. It's a simple question and it's the what if question. What if that happens? What if the story God is writing with my life isn't the story that I would have written for my life? What if, right, and I, I have listed a few, and these are the ones that I probably hear most often from my time in counseling and conversations with people, and as I listen to my own heart, what if I can't pay the bills at the end of the month? What if I lose my job? What if I get cancer? What if I get COVID? What if I fail at my business? What if I stay single the rest of my life? What if I never have kids? What if my spouse leaves me? What if I have kids, and they're brought into this broken world, and the world gets them? These are questions that I hear all the time, and um, the thing is, they're really valid concerns. They're, they're legitimate things that very well may happen, and yet Philippians chapter 4 tells me there's nothing that I'm allowed to be anxious over. And so if you're going to um, win this battle, it requires you to be a student of your own heart and mind, to ask the what-if question, but don't stop there, because if you stop there, um, you're just going to run wild in anxiety. See, there's another question that you have to ask to get beyond the what-ifs of your fears because what you're originally feared of, afraid of probably isn't the real thing. 
So then you ask this next question, then what? And this question's difficult because um, you're going to end up in some places that might hurt. What if that happened? Well, well then what's going to happen? Let me play a few of these out for you here. What if you can't pay the bills, right? Well, then what? Well, then I might lose my car and might have to give up the house. Well, then what? Well, then I'll have to buy a hoopty and drive a hoopty and downsize my house. <laughs> well, then what? Well, then I'll feel like I'm not providing for my family. Well, then what? Well, then I'll look like a failure to people around me. Uh, there it is. See, the bills in the house, they're, they're one thing, but they're not the thing. There's a fear of failure. There's a fear of looking bad in the light of it. There's a fear of not being able to provide. And so that's where you have to begin to dig in and do the work to figure out why. Why is that such a big deal to me? Here, here's another one. This is a, a prevalent one for us. What if I get sick? Then what? Well, then I might get really sick and have to go to the hospital. Or I might get better. Well, then what? Well, if I, if I don't get better, then I might get sick and die. Well, then what? Well, I love Jesus. I'll leave my family behind and I'm going to go to heaven. Okay. Well, then what? Well, either one of two things is true there. Either you don't trust God to take care of your family without you, or two, you don't believe that heaven is better than earth. You see, even in the face of death, when we face our deepest fears, the fear of dying, it's not really a fear of sickness, it's a fear of death. Jesus already has an answer there. Here's another one. What if I stay single the rest of my life? Well, then what? Well, then I'm going to feel like I'm missing out on something. Well, then what? I'm going to have a hard time hanging out with married people. Listen, we all have a hard time hanging out with married people, (laughs) single or not, all right? But then I'm going to feel really alone. Ah, there it is. It's the fear of alone and this false idea that a relationship status somehow um, affects your worth and value and identity. Just not. So um, I want you to ask those two questions, but that's not where it ends, because if you end there, you'll just be really depressed. There's another statement, and it's, it's one that it's going to require some practice for you, and it's, it's this, but my God will. But my God will. What if I can't pay the bills and I'm seen as a failure? What my God has promised out of 1 Peter chapter 2, 16, that the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I can fail. And this is a wild part about walking with faith. You can fail, and it's not the end of the world. People can see you as a failure, but it doesn't matter because the one who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame. And God's not thrown off by your failures. If I get sick, then I might die. Well, God will make good on his promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Let's throw that up there, John 3, 16. Yeah, it may be the scariest thing ever, but, but it's not bigger than God. The last one, if I stay single the rest of my life and then I feel alone, God has promised that I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. On your way out, we're going to give you a magnet. Um, I want you to put this on your fridge, put it wherever it would be helpful for you. And on one side of the magnet, it's going to say, uh, what if? And so what I want you to do over the next couple of weeks, and maybe this just becomes a rhythm in your mind and you don't need the magnet, but I want to give you this magnet. And I want you just to begin to put your fears, your worries, your anxieties, and what's bothering you on this magnet. Just, just say it. Get it out there. Put it on the magnet. Say, what if? What if we can't pay this bill? What, whatever it is for you. Below that, I want you to pause and run around and do whatever you have to do, but ask the then what question. Well, then what? Well, then what? And then I want you to write that fear on the bottom. 
What, what really is at the root of what's getting at you? And then the other side of it, it's going to say, but my God will. On that side, I want you to write a promise that God has given that speaks directly to your fear. If you don't know one of those promises or what it would be, grab your Bible and start reading. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. If you can't find it, ask your small group. Small group would be a great place to have those conversations. If you don't have a small group in front of you, there is a communication card, and you can fill out interested in small groups, and you can have those conversations there. See, the battle that you're going to fight for the rest of your life is one where you are going to need people alongside of you, and you're going to need to be an incredible student of your own heart, mind, and that you would sit and be a student of the Word of God. Because all throughout the Word of God are, are the promises that sustain us. When we hit those hard times, we know my God has already told me what is coming. He told me how this ends. I don't have to be freaking out because my God has already proven to be bigger. Let's pray. Jimmy, Father, <clears throat> we come to you and... These words are so easy to say from stage and so hard to live throughout the rest of the week. God, you know um, the, the wrestle I had in my own heart as I walked through this week and the fears and the worries and the stress that I ha continually had to fight off. And God, I did not do it all well, but I thank you that you sustained me. Lord, I pray for the hearts of every person here as uh, we've talked about some, some heavy stuff over the last couple weeks that we would take these things and we would run to you with them. That we would find you ever present and all sufficient. That when we open your word, God, you would uh, reveal things to us that we've never seen before that speak directly to the situation at hand. God, I thank you for this community of people who, who is desiring and longing to live differently than they did before, who's longing and desiring um, to live a life that would be honoring to you, who's longing and desiring to know you. God, I pray that you would um, meet us in that, and that there would be great joy. God, we ask for your peace to guard our hearts, to guard our minds, and that we would live a life full of joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.